Morning, Christian Hyatt. Good morning, Shane Peden. This is Tuesday Morning Grind number 11. We're going to talk about how to get high trust certified or how to do a validated assessment. Yep. How are you? I'm great. How about you, man? Pretty good, man. So this high trust journey, um, I think what's happening, it sounds like, at least, at least around our clients, is there's... You know, this whole universe of security certifications, you have SOC 2, ISO 27001, you have the NIST framework, but uh, one that's been coming up a lot, especially in the healthcare arena uh, for a while now is the, the high trust validated assessment or the high trust certification. So I thought what we could do is really just talk about, you know, why are organizations being asked for this new certification? What are the implications and um, how to implement it? And then also how to get certified when it comes to high trust. Um, just so for a bit of context, uh, Risk 360 is a high trust assessor. I think there's like, there's less than a hundred for sure firms in the world that can do high trust uh, assessments. And uh, Shane and I are both, um, I guess, high, tr high trust certified as individuals. But the interesting dynamic between you and I, Shane, is um, I'm usually on the assessment side, the validated assessment side. And for most of our clients, you're usually doing the VSISO services are usually on the receiving end of that audit. So you, you have a lot of empathy and kind of know what it's like to have to implement a program. Yeah. Um, so I, just a bit of background about the certification itself. So high trust is a unique certification scheme because unlike many other, uh, I guess, certifications, there's usually really a two party system and that there's the auditor who's doing the, the certification and then there's the, company receiving the audit, whereas High Trust is a three-way organization and that um, High Trust Alliance, you have to, as a company, you have to engage directly with them. You also have to engage with a third-party auditor like Risk360, and then there's the company. Yeah. Uh, because High Trust, Shane, you want to maybe give a quick background of who High Trust is and like what they do as an organization? Yeah, I mean, number one, it's a private organization. It's a for-profit mm -hmm. company. <clears throat> They're in it to uh, to profit off of the product. And the uh, what we learned in training is that HITRUST more or less tried to take all of the best of all of the mainstream uh, frameworks, especially ISO 27001 in this state 153. And they tried to uh, merge them together into a single framework or a unified framework, whatever. I, I guess they call that their uh, their CSF. Maybe that's what. Yeah. I forget yep. all the their exact terminology, but um, number one thing is it is very proprietary. It, it is a framework unique to high trust and they have their own application that you work out of to do the assessment, but it, it's just a behemoth of an, an assessment and requirements. And we've seen that you could technically get any organization high trust certified. It, it's technically industry agnostic, but we've seen the biggest push of it through insurance companies and large, large healthcare systems. Yeah. And, and that's where their bread and butter is. So like, uh, if you look at like the board membership of high trust, there's a lot of, uh, top, uh, I guess, healthcare organizations, uh, that are part of that. Um, a lot of the, I guess the founding members were, were largely healthcare oriented. So I think that's why if you're in the healthcare space, that's the most likely place that you're going to be, uh, being requested high trust because that's where they yep. have the most, I guess, uh, clout. 
the other unique thing about high trust is there's not a standard set of controls or framework. So if you take ISO or PCI or, or any of these other frameworks, you can pretty much go on the internet and download an Excel sheet of that framework. High trust is unique and that almost every organization has a unique scope. So when you engage with high trust through an auditor like Risk 360, what you would do is you would uh, log on to high trust platform. It's called MyCSF, and you would fill out a pretty extensive scoping, um, I guess, questionnaire. The app you'll work through the app to do that, and based on that scoping, you're going to get a unique set of controls, and that make that's an interesting dynamic because these controls can can vary from you know about 250 controls, which is still a lot up to like 800 or 900 controls, literally yep. like eight or 900. So you can imagine as an organization, the cost associated with implementing that number of controls um, and the variability if you're trying to get quotes from different organizations is gonna be quite high. So you really need to work with uh, an assessor firm to understand, you know, is my scope 250 controls or is my scope like a thousand controls? Because that's going to be a huge impact on your implementation journey on how much it's going to cost you to get certified and how you're going to approach it, especially if you're thinking about like a business case, your return on investment, uh, because you may find that, you know, it's too much for you or, or it's yeah. not enough. The, um, the other thing to consider, you know, I've, I've helped a few companies get high trust certified from the perspective of the insider as if I work there. And the thing to remember is that a high trust certification is the same whether you bite off that thousand or you do the, the bare minimum. So my goal when I'm helping uh, my teams scope and implement high trust is to minimize scope and, yep. and really get to the heart of the matter of what we care about in that assessment. Uh, so at, the, at the end of the day, you get a report that looks the same. I mean, it may technically, you, maybe you flip through and it technically has more controls. I'm yet to see a healthcare system that bats an eye at that, though. And yeah. like, they just want to see a certification. Well, well, the most common problem is when you're filling out those scoping questionnaires is you overscope for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, because um, we're, we're going to be by the book. Like, you, you have to be. But you'll you'll click, for example, regulations that aren't applicable to you, or might be applicable but not applicable in this scenario. Um, so filling out that scoping part in high trust is just essential. I'll, I recommend doing that with an assessor, someone who's been through the high trust QA process a bunch, um, before you kind of begin your own implementation. Because high trust as an organization, the high trust alliance is heavily involved in this process. For example, they're the only organization that I know of that actually QAs, performs quality assurance of the auditor's work. So as an assessor firm, we're required to do uh, internal QA, but then we also have to submit all of the work to high trust and it takes them a couple months to do QA too, which extends the process. But because of that, like we got to be very by the book and so does the organization. But that's kind of background. And like I said, fill out scoping, get your, uh, your number of controls down, understand your scope very well. And that's when I would recommend starting the, the implementation process. Because the way that we think about this is you're gonna do scoping, you're gonna do implementation, then you're gonna to go to your validated assessment. So presumably at this point you've done scoping, you have a, a subscription to MyCSF, which you have to purchase. Um, you can do a, a one-year subscription to MyCSF, and I, I might have these prices slightly wrong, but I believe a one-year purchase is like 2,500 bucks. And then, or you can do uh, a year round purchase, like a whole year subscription, which is about 14 or $15,000 a year. And there's various benefits for which one you purchase, but 
suffice it to say, most do the $15,000 subscription because you need access to this all the time. Whereas the, I think this $2,500 <laughs> one gives you 60 day access. Um, so anyway, you buy the platform, you do the scoping in the platform with the, the assessor firm like Risk360, you um, get your controls, then you begin the implementation journey. So Shane, that's kind of where you live. You live in that implementation space. And I know you, you do a lot of these for organizations. So what, what are some of the elements when it comes to implementation? What are some of the tips and tricks that you learned along the way? Yeah, the implementation can be tricky. Sometimes the controls can be very hard to, uh, hard to interpret or demystify. So I think, um, can, you, can you talk about know. like, what's the structure? Like what, what, what are they, yeah. what is high trust looking for? I guess well, it based on a framework. That yeah, kind of so they, they have a lot of different domains. And we mentioned this state 153 and ISO 27001. If you're familiar with those two frameworks, a lot of this is going to be familiar to you. Uh, it errs it on the side of being more, um, more prescriptive than, say, ISO is. So, I mean, it, it is very much a blend of ISO and NIST in that regard. The, uh, the requirements, though, are, are all over the place. I mean, there, there's some requirements that are very technical to the point that a lot of our clients actually can't even, <clears throat> can't really even comply or not comply because a lot of the, the hyper-technical, and when I say hyper-technical, I mean like um, things about how computer systems handle memory and release memory. It's yeah. like those are those are requirements inherent to the operating system. So it's like either you use an operating system that does that or you don't, you know. But I also know that that is a NIST 853 requirement. I'm one of the higher tiers yeah. of NIST. So, so, so it spans from yeah. like policy, a lot of policy level controls. Tons all the way down of policy. Of the, a lot the other of, thing. I just yeah, say I a lot say, of endpoint management and configuration management yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, can you talk about like the maturity model too? Because HITRUST has a few, um, I guess, unique elements. There's the unique set of controls from scoping. There's also the one through five, um, I guess, you know, you got policy procedure man uh, yeah. managed measure, uh, maturity model. And then there's also the scoring thing where you have to get above a certain score. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So it'll, it'll write you against, do you have a policy? Do you have a procedure? Is it implemented? Um, and then what is it? Is it measured? And then I forget what the... Uh, I think it's uh, measured, managed. Or yeah, managed, is it measured, managed, and measured? <clears throat> and then between that, you'll have a range from not compliant at all to fully compliant. And so, yeah, you're really looking at every control against five different uh, levels of maturity. And then also varying degrees of how mature each level of maturity yeah. is. So that, yeah. this is an important point I want to emphasize. So if you're doing your own implementation, and again, I would highly advise working with an assessor before you begin your implementation, <clears throat> is because every control, so let's say that you somehow minimize scope, you got like 250 controls. Well, those 250 controls each have five levels. Yeah. It's policy, procedure, implemented, managed, measured. So you can multiply those 250 by five because each of those five levels has a unique requirement. So if you are trying to meet all five levels on 250 or more controls, you can get easily a thousand requirements, 1500 requirements well, instantly. Yeah. So, it's, so you need to work with your assessor firm to figure out what is appropriate for your organization because you don't necessarily want or need to be five out of five on every control. 
you might want to be three out of five on many controls because that's a better fit or that really meets where you are in reality. And, and it's it, going to it, impact the effort that you put in. Go ahead, Shane, sorry. Sorry, yeah. It, it's also challenging because um, <clears throat> a lot of people in the compliance world have somewhat of an all or nothing mindset. It's like, well, I have this requirement. I want to do my best to meet it. High trust isn't like that. You actually need somebody that is uh, somewhat strategic and understands high trust scoring system because there are actually ways to strategically not comply with stuff and still get compliance, but you've got to think through it. So um, that's just a fact of life with high trust. I personally don't like that. I don't like having to say, well, I'm going to kind of take, give some here and take over here and we'll game the, the scoring a little bit so I get a good enough score to pass. I know high trust is doing their best to create a risk-based system and in their mind, they're probably thinking, well, how can I consistently apply the principle of risk-based management and mitigating controls across the organization? But the reality is, is that in a lot of cases, it turns into an exercise of saying, how can I score enough points to win the game? Yeah. You know, so for every client... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say for every client. Oh, sorry. What you doing that? Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, so on, on the one through five thing, like the, yeah. the, the scoring methodology, what we mean by being strategic, because you do have to accumulate enough points in the high trust system to, to become certified. And uh, what I would say is there may be a situation, I think the natural desire is to be five out of five on everything, right? Definitely. But yeah. there's a lot of controls where it costs you more to comply with that control than the risk that exists for you. That's a great for, way of putting it. Yeah. So, for example, for you to have managed and measured on everything, well, can you? How much does it cost you to measure every single control? So, do you have to have automation in place? Do you have to have additional manpower? So, sure, maybe you could do that, but there might not be enough risk to take on the cost that's gonna cost you to implement that control. And that's where high trust is, I think, okay with it. That's why they, that's why you don't have to have five out of five because they're saying, hey, as an organization, you need to use your own judgment, take a risk-based approach, implement what makes sense, here are your options, and then you go and decide what those options look like. But if you have someone who's a, a lifetime compliance professional and they don't understand that nuance, they might just like, you know, take you all the way up to five and push the organization in a direction that doesn't make sense. But if you have an assessor like us, we really know, I guess, how to walk, walk that type uh, tightrope and also what best practices are because we've worked with organizations that implement a lot of high trust engagements. So uh, it, it feels weird. It feels weird to do a, a compliance exercise that's not a yes or no. It's a, a, a levels of gray. Yeah. And that's a unique phenomenon that exists in high trust. That's very different from other frameworks. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's also some somewhat insider baseball stuff in high trust. Like the uh, the high trust organization itself, when they review the uh, the reports, they can be very picky on policies and procedures. They really beat them up because that's what is easiest for them to beat up as being auditors or or reviewers, QA reviewers of organizations that they know nothing about. So what are they going to do? They're going to just look at the black and white in the page and, and beat it up. So there's also an element of coaching organizations through just building or updating their policy and procedures set just to be high trust ready. You know, so it, 
There is a lot of security benefits that organizations get out of high trust because it is a, uh, it's a powerful tool in the market for organizations that require it, especially healthcare systems. And it is a strong differentiator to help you get your foot in the door with larger hospitals and, and whatnot. But on the other hand, there is an extreme cost to it because you really do need to have a high trust strategist on the team. It's not very accessible to somebody that's not actually gone through the training, been through them assessments, got their knee scraped a few times and really learned how to yeah. high trust works. Yeah, and we're on the implementation phase. And, and one yeah. of the biggest parts of implementations is policies and procedures. So it's like there's two extremes. You can build templates to specifically meet high trust that doesn't fit the organization at all, really. It's just like words on a paper to meet high trust. Or you can take something that's very customized to your organization, ignoring compliance, and then try to justify why that meets high trust compliance. And with high trust, I would say neither, both of those options at the edges aren't very effective in yeah. achieving security or compliance. So you really have to figure out based on your high trust requirements, how do you want to author your policies and or update your policies where they'll meet the spirit and intent of high trust, but also be useful to the organization and that they reflect reality. Yeah. And that's another tight, tight rope walk that unless you understand the high trust requirements fairly well, and you understand how organizations should be put together to mitigate risk, it's hard to just pick up a, a framework and start writing policies based on that high trust framework. So that's part of that implementation phase that we usually go through to help coach clients to say, look, this is your organization, it's your risk. This is your profile. This is the high trust requirement. How are we going to author policies and procedures in a way that makes sense to your organization, but also meet the spirit and intent of the high trust framework? Yeah. And um, I mean, that's a pretty long conversation up front. And then I, we've even had clients that just go straight off or start writing policies and procedures before we ever even talk to them, but never went un underwent the scoping exercise of high trust. So it's like, well, you have about 50% of your policies that you didn't even need because we scoped that out. Yep. And, and that's always, a, a, I guess, a frustrating conversation <clears throat> for folks that weren't aware of that phenomenon. Yeah. Um, so high trust, we, we went through implementation. You know, if you want to know the framework, look at ISO, look at NIST. Um, I think high trust has an Excel spreadsheet that you can download that has a lot of their controls. Um, I think that's a good resource, but just be cognizant that that's probably not the control set you're going to end up with. You need to do scoping. You're going to implement your program, write policies, write procedures, implement the technical controls, um, validate that those are implemented before you do your validated assessment. Those controls have to be in place, I think, for 60 days. That's the high trust requirement before yep. you can undergo the validated assessments. They kind of have to simmer and be in place for a bit. Then you press go and you do the validated assessment. The validated assessment is you have to have that MyCSF subscription. Um, it's going to be a three-way relationship. Like I said, it's going to be high trust. It's going to be the validated assessor, the audit firm, and it's going to be your company. It's going to be a MyCSF and you're going to start running through that framework and, and being audited. Um, Shane, you want to talk a little bit about like what that audit feels like, what, what the validated assessment itself is? Yeah, it, what you'll see is MyCSF is a web app. You log into it and you have a sidebar with like 19 or 20 control objectives. And you click in each one and on the right, you basically have a long questionnaire of requirements. And you'll have a place where you can upload an artifact to evidence a requirement. And then you can start rating yourself. 
And those ratings are what we were talking about, the uh, policy procedure implemented and whatnot. And then the, the basically from completely not compliant to fully compliant with each one. And that's where it, it really helps to have somebody that understands the system to help you work through that. And another thing to remember too is there's also even nuances in that app that you're not aware of. Unfortunately, High Trust just doesn't tell you this unless you go to the training and actually get certified. But there's even areas within the app where if you fill it out wrong, you may have information you didn't want in your final report that goes to your customers. Yeah, there's like a notes filled. Yeah, yeah so some, some but, notes it, end up in the report, some notes are internal only. So, you have so, to it, so it's, it, all I can say is there is a lot of insider baseball with High Trust, and it helps to have somebody that has actually been through it a few times. But as you're going through it, it starts to feel like any other audit at that point. You know, I, I think what is most challenging is having to demonstrate for every single requirement that you have a solid policy and procedure to go with it. And then also giving that audit, audit artifact. You know, um, the, the other thing that can be challenging at times is, as I mentioned, sometimes the requirements are not so cut and dry on what's expected. And maybe your, your auditor or your assessor firm that you're working with may accept something only for that to go to high trust and then high trust reject it. So it's also hard to get audited or QA'd by a firm that you have no relationship with and that you cannot talk with until the assessment's done, packaged yeah. up and sent away. That's a yeah. huge frustration. I'll say that this is a, yeah. uh, it is important that the assessor firm understand, have a, a very a relationship. Cut a relationship and a customized approach to high trust yeah. because for example, they're going to put together a custom, the auditor will put together a custom information request list. Hopefully that information request list is clear. So you understand exactly what you need to provide. I've seen it both ways. I've seen the auditor provide great information request list, which crystal clear what you need to do. I've seen it the other way where it's like very standard and, and uh, I guess, templatized and you get the request list and you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to even provide you to get through this. So that's important. Um, coaching you, coaching you as a client through the MyCSF platform. So you feel very comfortable, you know what buttons to click. We, we do orientation sessions, for example, that's very important. Um, just making that process ease, easy because it is a complicated process. The controls are complicated. Security is complicated. It's a new platform. Those are all like variables that come into play here that, that hopefully your assessor firm will help coach you through. And then you're going to get through the validated assessment. If you've ever been through any audit, it's a series of walkthroughs. It's providing evidence. It's the auditor performing review, asking follow-up questions, just like any audit. Um, I'll say the nuance here is, is if you're backwards planning and you're communicating up to leadership or to a client, when you're going to have your certification in hand, it's going to be at least 60 days after the end of the audit. Because what we have to do as an audit firm is we're going to complete the audit. We're going to put the package together in MyCSF and we'll submit that to High Trust. And High Trust is currently communicating to us. Um, this is January 2021. That their QA process takes between 60 and 75 days before we'll get the, uh, the the certification back in hand. That that's a great point. Can you walk through the uh, the life cycle and the yeah, time? Sure. Because sometimes people are shocked that it takes as long as it does to yeah. start so, from zero. 
I'll yeah. put a timeline, an image of the timeline up here <laughs> when, we, when I edit this. But so generally the timeline is scoping's fast. You know, give yourself a week to do that if you're working with an assessor because you'll go back and forth on scope. Um, then we'll begin the implementation uh, timeline. That timeline's variable just depending on how much effort you want to put into it. Right. If you have a lot of resources to dump into it, you need to do it quick. You can. If you want to take your time and do it over a year, that's fine, too. So let's just say uh, three months to a year to implement it, just depending on how much time and effort you want to throw into it. Then you have the validated assessment. You have 60 days to complete a validated assessment. So scoping a week, implementation, however long you want that to take, call it three months. And then 60 days to perform the, val the audit itself, which they call validated assessment. Um, which is a tight timeline. I mean, everything has to be done in 60 days. And then at 60 to 75 days for high trust to QA it and you get certain hand. So if we're going to backwards plan, three months for implementation, two months for a validated assessment, two months for QA, and you're at about, you know, six to, six to nine months to get a report in hand there. So if I'm coaching clients, I always say, hey, look, you need to give yourself six months to a year to get a high trust assessment from, from not having one to getting one. And that, that can be surprising for some organizations because I think some frameworks are a little bit faster. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Um, so you submit your uh, assessment to high trust, 60, 75 days, you get it back. All the, you don't have to worry about the QA. The auditor has to worry about the QA. <laughs> so don't worry about that. We're, we're the one filling questions with high trust. Um, get through that, get your certification in hand. And then high trust itself, is a multi-year requirement. So just remember that you're going to go through year one, you're gonna get your full assessment. Year two, they're gonna do a reassessment. That's a requirement uh, for high trust. And then it starts over again, full assessment, reassessment, full assessment, reassessment. So it's one of those things you gotta keep up. There's some advantages of being in the platform. I've, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, companies using high trust as a vendor management platform where they'll send like that, the famous security questionnaire to organizations. And uh, through high trust, and I believe if you have a high trust validated assessment, there's a, a little bit of goodness in that if you get a questionnaire through that platform, um, you can submit your validated assessment to shortcut yeah. that. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and almost any healthcare organization, I think in the healthcare space, it's fair to say that from, from all the certifications that you can get, whether it be ISO, SOC 2, whatever, high trust is largely considered the gold standard there. So if you're doing business with exclusively or largely healthcare organizations, healthcare systems, you know, uh, insurance companies, you know, that's probably, high trust is going to come up, I would say. It's probably like, and, and that's going to be the gold standard. Because the other question that comes up is like, which certification should I get? Should I do ISO, SOC 2, high trust? Yeah. And uh, if you're in that healthcare space, you, know, you probably just going to have to accept that high trust is a, a cost of doing business. Yeah, and I would also um, remind people or just let them know if they didn't, High trust does not get you HIPAA, uh, HIPAA compliant. Yeah, because that's something that stuff. it always comes up. People assume it that because the uh, the healthcare organizations are asking for it, it it's not true. Uh, I'm very familiar with what it takes to get HIPAA compliant, and high trust will get you a lot of the way there on the uh, the security requirements, or maybe above and beyond the security requirements, but it does not address the rest of HIPAA, and um, there is a, a box you can check in scoping to include HIPAA. So you'll get a lot of the requirements of HIPAA sprinkled in and that will also help. But even that, 
I would argue doesn't get you HIPAA compliant. There's yeah. just some nuances there that you can just hit one of us up on LinkedIn if your organization is stuck on that and what that means. Yeah, but it's, it's not inherent is what you're saying. Like just yeah. because you're high trust doesn't mean HIPAA. You can be. It, it's a path towards HIPAA compliance. I think that's very fair. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. Well, good. I think I hope this was a good overview for everyone on high trust. If you guys have questions on high trust, because this is a complicated framework, reach out to me or Shane. We're happy to answer your questions. You can hit us and up on LinkedIn or email. Quick, my email is christian.hyatt.com. Shane's shane.peden.risk360.com. What were you about to add, Shane? Uh, I was going to say, I think we may be unique in that we are one of the few firms that truly does equal amounts of internal and external. We help just as many organizations get ready as we help certify. Yep. Sure. And even interface with the auditor directly. Yep. Cool. So uh, thanks, everybody. I hope this was helpful. Thanks, Shane, for your time. Talk yep. to you next thanks. Tuesday. Bye.